How to Develop Strategic Skills and More Community Questions. This is Coaching for Leaders, Episode 170. Produced by Innovate Learning. Maximizing Human Potential. Greetings from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. This is a weekly show to help leaders improve their communication, coaching, strategy, productivity, and personal mastery. And we are back again this month with our monthly Q&A show, normally the first Monday of the month, the second Monday this time. And Bonnie Stahoviak is back here with me, who is uh, feeling better finally, as we all are, Bonnie. Glad to have you back. It's great to be back. I was listening to the last episode, wondering if you were going to share and how intimately you'd be sharing about our, as you said, quote unquote, logistical challenges. (laughs) That wasn't quite how I described the last week of my life, but that's probably the more professional route to go. You know, there are people who are, are on the road eating breakfast right now and they well, just don't need I any more information. I didn't that. say anything. Yeah. So. Yeah. So there you go. It's been there a rough go. week. Yeah. It's nice to be back. It's nice to be feeling well. I'm happy to answer some questions and I know we have a number of them today. We have got a bunch of questions to tackle and the call out was for questions on strategy this month. We've got a couple, uh, one directly related to that, a couple kind of somewhat related and a few other things to tackle too. So let's go ahead and jump right in. The first question here is from Susan. Hi, my name is Susan Salamone, and I'm a human resources business partner for a large organization. We recently completed strategic planning with many levels of our leaders, and as usual, I noticed that some of our leaders are more able to think strategically than others. This is something I've always struggled with, whether it's teachable or not, and I would just love to hear your ideas on how you would go about developing strategic thinking skills for someone who doesn't necessarily come by them naturally. Love Your Show have recommended that a lot of people listen to it um, and really appreciate all the work you do to share your wisdom about people. Thanks and have a great day. Well, Susan, thank you so much for recommending the show to others. I'm so grateful and humbled by that. I am just uh, always just thrilled when people take the time to do that. So thank you. And thank you for being a member of the community. And thanks for the question, too. I think I'm going to tackle the first part of your question here, and I'll let Bonnie tackle the second part of your question, which is the how to do it. Uh, To the first part of your question, is it something that's teachable? I'm a firm believer that almost everything that we talk about in the show, trying to think of anything that would be an exception, but is teachable is something we can learn how to get better at. And I guess I would use the example of when, you know, when I was a kid, I, I really, um, I really struggled with running. Running was something that just was not, not good. I always used to dread anytime we had physical education class and I needed to run the mile or whatever. I was always the last kid to cross the finish line. And I decided at some point in my life, uh, you know, when I was in my late teens, early twenties, that I was going to get to be a better runner. And so I spent a lot of time working on that skill. Now, today I'm a pretty decent runner. I'm not an Olympic athlete by any means, but I can run pretty well. I've run a marathon before and I run regularly. And by focusing and practicing that skill and investing time in it, I've gotten better with coaching to develop it more effectively. Now, are there people out there who are natural born runners and just have that amazing talent and go on and and do great things without as much of that time and energy? Absolutely. And I think like anything, there are certain skill sets 
that every person has that they have a natural propensity to do better at than others. And strategy is no different than that. But I'm a firm believer that you can absolutely learn how to get better at something. And one of the reasons that a lot of people aren't good at this is most organizations and most individuals don't spend a lot of time working to become better at strategy and developing that skill and getting the coaching that would be helpful to them. And so I think that's why a lot of people either don't do it well or kind of just do it when they need to or mediocre or, or really struggle with it. And so uh, I, I, I believe that you can firmly get better at all these things. Strategy is no different than that. And Bonnie has some suggestions on some ways that we might be able to do that. I tend to concur with Dave in terms that it is a skill that can be developed. One thing I would wonder is whether or not it actually needs to be. When we think about the skills that are needed in organizations, generally people think broadly that managers would need to have some technical skills, not necessarily related to computers, by the way, but whatever their area of expertise is. So if I'm an accountant, I need to have good technical accounting skills. And if I am in human resources, I need to have good technical human resources skills, et cetera, et cetera. Then we've got the humanistic skills. And we've got conceptual skills. And typically, while all managers need to have all three of those skills, as we move our way up in an organization, the higher up we move, the more we need those conceptual skills to be good at our job. That's why so often we find people in executive leadership who are phenomenal at the conceptual skills. And then you wonder, oh my gosh, how did they ever move up? Because they're so terrible at working with people on some of the humanistic sides of things too. Or you might see the typical thing where someone was really, really good in their field as a frontline manager, and they had that technical expertise in their discipline, and then they got moved up and they can't let it go. And they're supposed to be thinking more at the conceptual level, and they're still trying to actually do the job, and and a little bit of micromanaging comes in and, and over stepping their where their bounds should be as an executive. So when we talk about strategy, there's so many things we could be thinking that could be lacking. It might be those conceptual thinking skills. It might also be the ability to think more longer term versus just thinking the short term. That could be what is meant by that. And another big one that I see comes up a lot that holds people back from their ability to think strategically is that sometimes the organizational culture or that person may have more of a propensity for looking inward and not going out and looking at the broader landscape and being able to see what's happening. And I know for myself early on in my career, I worked for a company that really did have that, that people... (laughs) People have joked that it uh, was cult-like in some some senses, that it was just always about us and our company and what we were doing and not enough about what was happening in the industry. So early on in my career, I didn't really get a very good practice of what that would look like to go out and analyze an industry and, and discover what was happening there. I have a former student of mine who has shared that early on in her career, she wasn't very challenged and found herself being bored. And instead of sitting around not being productive, she challenged herself to learn everything she could about her industry. And it's so fun now as she's moving up, she's able to put all this into place. So one thing that may be lacking is just someone doesn't have that discipline, that rigor for finding out what's happening within the environment. And there's all different ways we can look at that. What's happening in the environment in which we compete in from a legal and political standpoint, what's happening in the environment we compete in with regards to our competitors. What about with economic factors or 
with so, so, so sociological factors could come to play there or some demographic factors too. So those are the kinds of things that I've seen sometimes hold people back from being strategic. One really good model, I'm not sure if you've seen this, Susan, is from Michael Porter. He is the guy on competition and on strategy, and he has the five forces model and how you can analyze your organization, how hard is it to get into the industry? And there are five other, or excuse me, four other forces he describes. That's an article that you could go find on the internet that you could have a team read and then just discuss, well, let's talk about our company and and let's look at the five forces. And I think as Dave said in his intro, if we start to have these conversations that can help to build up those conceptual skills to be able to think that way. But circling back to my original point, one thing I would just just wonder is, does everyone in our organization need to have good conceptual thinking skills? And I'm not sure that I quite buy into that. I think it is skills that really need to be finely honed with our executive teams. So if it was an executive member you were discussing who doesn't have the skills, that's certainly going to be a challenge. We start to move down the organization to different levels of management. They're going to be more about acting upon the strategy that others have developed. And in their departments, in their divisions, figuring out, well, how do we tie into this? And then being able to communicate back up the ranks, well, here are some challenges where, or, or, or being able to look at what, what strategy is being shaped and have input on it, but not necessarily come up with it. I love the suggestion about going and educating yourself about the industry too, if that's a skill you want to get better at. I've, I've noticed the same thing when I've broadened my perspective and when I've had clients who have broadened their perspective and done reading and looked at industry publications and conferences and things like that, it's, it really does get you thinking a lot more at that higher level and thinking conceptually about how you can be more effective from a strategy standpoint. Okay, so the next question here is from Mark. Mark emailed in and said, I just wanted to let you know I've been listening to the Coaching for Leaders podcast since somewhere around episode 100. Recently, an opportunity came by to become a, become team leader of an engineering department I worked in. And listening to the podcast for a while gave me enough mental support to take that step. Thank you very much. Well, you're welcome, Mark. Thank you for listening. I find that there are certain pros and cons of assuming a leadership position coming from within the team instead of coming from outside the department or even outside the company. Perhaps you could address this in an upcoming Q&A show. Well, here we are addressing it, Mark. So uh, congratulations, Mark, first of all, and good for you for taking on a new challenge and pushing yourself and challenging yourself. And yeah, there's absolutely pros and cons to assuming a leadership role of an organization you've worked in before. The The pros are, you know, the organizational politics, you know, the culture of the organization, you know who the players are. And that's the kind of thing that if you and, and those out there who have ever come into an organization externally really does take some time in order to figure out the landscape. So that is something that you certainly have an advantage of, of knowing that about your organization and about your team. It also, though, comes with the challenge of you do bring along your brand. So whatever brand you've created in that organization for good or for bad, you don't necessarily have a chance as much to create a new brand. And so depending on uh, how the relationship you have with the people you've worked with before as peers and now will be working with in a leadership capacity, that may change the dynamic and will likely change those relationships. And I, 
I think part of your question here may be, or you're wondering we if we may uh, have some thoughts on is, you know, how do you handle that? And, you know, one of the things that I'm just a big believer on is the dichotomy of being respected versus being liked. And I think that this is a unique challenge in many cases for people who take on a management role of a team that they've previously worked in. It, it And especially if you've had close relationships with a lot of those people or worked in that team for a long period of time, um, there's the tendency sometimes to not step back and to take on that new role as confidently or as quickly as sometimes you do need to do in a leadership role and to look at relationships more still as peers and not to make that transition. So I think one smart thing to do is when that transition happens is to have a conversation with some of the people that you've worked with as peers before and talk about how the relationship between you will change. Um, The other suggestion I have too, I'm curious what you think about this too, Bonnie, but one thing that I think is a struggle for some people is, and particularly if you are wanting to move up in an organization, I think this is harder if a lot of your social connections are within that group or within the workplace. I think it makes it harder to navigate then when you do move up into leadership roles. And so one thing that I would certainly encourage is if you are thinking you want to move up in your organization, and particularly if you see that you may move into a role where you may be managing people who you have been friends with and been peers with, I think it's really helpful to broaden your friendships and your relationships, not only professionally, but personally, because I find that that makes it a little bit easier because when those tough situations happen, you're not, I think you're more likely to have that better perspective than you would be if you have all of your personal social relationships tied up specifically in the workplace. I think that's great advice. And I also want to let you know that episode 120 covered this topic. And so you might want to go back and revisit that too, because it's a good one. Really, really hones in on exactly the question that you're asking. So best wishes in your new role. Yeah. What uh, The first question on 120 was all about this. So check that out. And so our next question here is from Diana. Hello, Dave. My name is Diana Brower. I'm really enjoying to listening to your podcast. I'm re- listening to all of them. And I learned a lot. However, I would like to suggest you to do a podcast regarding the topic how executives talk with their stuff. I couldn't find any sources online. Thank you very much. Bye. Thanks so much for your question. I I, I think I might be feeling a little bit sassy today because I just wanted to say poorly. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for your question. Next question. (laughs) That's so funny. It's the first thing that came into my mind. Really, really, really poorly. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. As, As a whole, as a whole, there are, of course, many exceptions, but... Yeah. Yeah. So I, I have a few thoughts on this because boy, we could we could do a whole book. We could probably do a whole series of podcasts on this question of how as an executive could you um how should you speak to your staff? Um you want to start or you want me to start? Oh, go ahead and start, sure. All right. So I, I have a f I have a couple of things. if I could wave my magic Wait, you- wand. Does this mean I'm not done? <laughs> what? My contribution hasn't been fulfilled with my one or no, answer. No. All right. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt no. you. Please no, go forth okay. and that's I will. Okay. I'm sure I'll come up with something. Executives should stop interrupting people. Is oh, yes. That's yes. what they should do. Yeah. Um, okay. So I have, I have, here's my like top three list. If I could wave my magic wand, because I, I go to meetings with clients and it, on a regular basis, I'll hear presentations from higher level executives. 
And sometimes I'm really impressed. And more often than not, Bonnie, I am I am disappointed. And I think one thing for me is, as an executive leader, can you speak in terms of the nobler motive for why you and your organization are doing the things you're doing? And it is, it is just really hard for me to understand why some executives think that talking about things in the terms of, we did 3.2 million in revenue last year, and so this year, let's all get excited about doing 3.3 or 3.4. You know, numbers are important and they're very critical measures to success in the organization. But numbers alone, like the 0.4 whatever percentage increase that you're going to be doing this year is not the thing that's for most people is going to be the thing that's going to motivate your employees to get out of bed in the morning and be excited about going to work. Yes, that's an important part of strategy and about goal setting, but that in and of itself is not enough. I, I want to hear if I'm being led by someone or I and working with a client organization and seeing an executive leader leading people, I want to hear what's the bigger reason for why we are doing this? What is our what is our vision for what we're trying to create out in the world? What are we trying to create for our employees? How do we serve the world? How do we help people? And those are the things that I just don't hear very much from a lot of executives. And I, I would love to hear more of that. Here's the bigger reason for why we're doing this. Here's what's getting, here's what gets me out of bed in the morning. And here's what I hope gets you out of bed in the morning too. So that'd be one. Secondly, is clarity of priorities. I think this is key if you're an executive leader, is being very clear on what it is you want people to know about your vision and the direction of the organization. And when you see an executive get up and they've got 15 priorities that they're talking about for this year or this quarter, it's it's just it's not clear. It's not clear what's important. So there can't be 15 prior. I mean, I guess if you're in a large Fortune 500 company and you're the CEO, maybe there are 15. But you know, for for the for the typical organization, I mean, get down to what's the one thing that's important this year or this quarter, or maybe two or three at the most. I'd love to hear a lot more clarity on focusing on one or two things and keep that message consistent and clear over a period of time. And then finally, listening to the employee population and finding out what people care about, what's important to them. Where do they think the organization should go? Because they're the people that are often closest to the customer. They're closest to the issues going on in the organization. And I do very strongly believe it is ultimately the role of the executive and the leadership team and CEO to ultimately set the vision and to, and, and to set that clear vision of where the organization is going. But it's done with the going through the process of having listened to people so that everyone becomes a part of that vision. And I think about it very much as a tapestry in aligning an organization. You know, a beautiful tapestry is a whole number of individual unique pieces that are aligned together to create something that each one, any one of those pieces couldn't do on their own. And I see leadership in a lot of ways very much like that is how do you uh, look at all of the different skills that you have and all of the different individuals and the individual strengths that they bring and how do you align them in such a way in a shared vision that really creates something that no one person could do by themselves and that those are like if if every executive did those three things man i would be i would love going to meetings and lot and listening to people talk those are excellent suggestions dave and and i resonate with me quite a bit i think about one one way that executives might be able to do that is to get really good at storytelling mm. And 
because I, I have seen so many times where the executives do get caught up in the numbers. And of course, in a publicly traded company, for example, that's those are the kinds of things they need to be able to address on investor calls and that those are going to be the kinds of discussions they're having with their team. And that's where their mind is going to be flooded a lot there. And, and those then relate to them in the sense of their own compensation, their own sense of success. But as you indicated, if if that's all it was about, hey, we're all here for the money. And so let's hit this these financial metrics, that's not going to really cascade very well throughout the organization, but a real sense of value, a real sense of this is what we're doing together. I don't want to go into too much depth on this story because it, I don't know, I have not asked to share the details, but a colleague of mine was in a local establishment and (laughs) noticed that there was a person there who was clearly disabled and was a little concerned about because this individual was by himself and thought, is this guy going to be able to really get around by himself and can he get his own um, food beverage type of thing? Try not to give it away. <laughs> and so he he was actually there for quite some time and people came over to the guy and, and said, hey, just checking in, seeing how you're doing. And, and they clearly he was a regular there. And my colleague was so touched just by, wow, this this organization just these people just cared so much about this guy and what a neat place to work. And this just was a great experience. And I, and I know someone who works for the corporate offices of that establishment. So I sent him a quick little screenshot of my friend's Facebook story and shared it with him. And he told me the neatest story about, well, let me share with you about a guy who's on our team who has a disability and shared with me what that was and what it looked like and and how, yes, he, he sometimes has a little difficulty communicating over a telephone, but if you can see him, then you can understand him better. And here's his contribution. And, and also he's stubborn as all get out. So he'll really be tenacious toward hitting his goals. And it was just such a fun thing to see in an organization. This is a large, large, large organization from the very top executive level and at the corporate offices that those kinds of things and the care is so consistent. And then all the way down to one teeny, teeny, tiny, one of their many, many, many locations, Mm. that, that kind of power, that was just really powerful to get a glimpse of, wow, now that's cascading. That's what you're talking about, Dave. That's where that's that tapestry, that shared vision, that, that, that everyone's a part of this picture. We all play our own role, but we're all part of making this beautiful image in this organization. But that happens through years and years and years of telling the same kinds of stories in the sense of this, these are our values. This is what we're about. And those kinds of things aren't always going to be popular with people too. I mean, cause it, you're, you're taking, you can't do, do embrace all the values. You can't go out and embrace every initiative. You got to hone in on what's going to really be the best match for you in terms of your corporate social responsibility. But yeah, as you were talking, that's what I was, what I was thinking about. Oh, good, good. And, and I didn't mean at all to say that numbers aren't important, by the way, numbers are important. It's just, if that's where the conversation ends, it's not enough. It has to be more than that for people. Most people that's just not enough for and um, I'm so glad you brought up storytelling, Bonnie. Back on episode 148, David Hutchins was on and had the four stories leaders need for influence. So if storytelling is something you want to get better at or want to help your organization get better at, definitely check out episode 148 because David had tons of advice for that and walks you th- walks us through the map for the four s- types of stories that leaders need to be able to tell. So that's a great, great resource for everyone. So thanks so much for the question, Diane. I hope that's helpful in getting you started. And uh, we should probably do about 20 more episodes on that, Bonnie. All right, let's go ahead and uh, 
let's tackle the question here from Guto. I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, Guto writes, I listen to your programs daily, Coaching for Leaders and Carnegie Coach. Well, thank you, Guto, for checking out Carnegie Coach. And this has helped me a lot to improve as a manager and coach. I've spent, um, I have a training project and I want your tips. The idea is to make a leadership development program and the topic is lead yourself. As the program will mix coaching with training, I thought to use some coaching tools such as the Wheel of Life, Personal SWOT Analysis, and Mission and Purpose. However, the module requires four hours of training, and my program so far has given me two hours of training. Um, What do you recommend to do more as a way of self-knowledge to train leaders to make a difference in business and in their teams? Thanks so much for the question, Guto, and thanks for reaching out and, and listening to the show. Yeah, I have a few thoughts for you. Uh, you know, f- one of the things that whenever Bonnie or I are thinking about designing a program or training or a classroom experience for people, one of the first things we think about is, you know, to quote Stephen Covey, is to begin with the end in mind, is what is it that we want people to walk out of the experience doing differently. In fact, that's one of my favorite questions that I love to ask whenever we're working with a client organization is what do you want people walking out of this room doing differently? And then the answers to that question and and the details behind that ultimately start to inform what it is that you would do in the training experience or the classroom or the coaching that would then get to that objective. And unfortunately, that's not done in a lot of development of leadership or training programs, it's usually, well, we think we need this, this, and this, and okay, let's cover those topics. So first of all is whoever is putting this together, whether it's you or your executive team, or if this is a client organization, of getting real clear of what's the end objective, what are the competencies that are to be developed, what do you want people doing differently at the end of this experience than not. Now, if it is only a two-hour experience, that's not something that you're probably going to see a lot of long-term behavioral change on as far as a leadership standpoint, it's going to be more of an introduction to what some conversations we could have. One of the things that I think is really helpful at the beginning of any kind of leadership experience is being able to help people to gain some clarity on where their strengths are and their and the strengths they've not only developed, but their natural strengths, and also where some of their blind spots may be. These blind spots they may already be aware of, but also, well, I guess they're not blind. <laughs> they're not blind spots if you're already aware of them. The things you know you're not as good at, but also the things that you are not as good at, you may not be aware of. And um, I love the work that a lot of facilitators do around assessments and uh, assessments like the MBTI and DISC, and there's a number of others out there, can be really good starting points for a conversation like that on raising self-awareness. Many people out there will use assessments at the beginning of a program like this. And one thing just to be cautious of with an assessment is just not to put too much weight in assessment. It is one data point for uh, information about a person. But I find that it is a really good starting point for a conversation. An assessment that's done well and a good one that you have a good facilitator, a good process you follow, will be effective in starting a conversation of helping people to navigate what it is that they see as strengths in themselves and in others, and what are opportunities they see for development. And then that begins a starting point for then developing and going through an experience where you are growing as a leader. So I think that that's a really good starting point. I know Bonnie will have a few thoughts here as too. 
your topic, lead yourself. This is one of those collection of words that you could say a number of different ways, and it could actually be insulting to people like, oh, lead yourself. And I realize it's not how you meant it. And, and you didn't say that that was your title for it. But a possible way of reframing your topic is to think of it as personal leadership. That is oftentimes how these kinds of curriculum are categorized as personal leadership. And under that realm, one of the things that can be helpful is to establish for people what's called a personal knowledge management system. And that's where they're continually refueling their own learning. It's a it's a self-created system for taking in information, synthesizing it, and then sharing it back out to both within the organization and then also outside the organization. So that might be something to take a look at that once it was created would then just keep going. Each person would be able to implement it. And that can help uh, take the, the short time that you have together, those two hours, and really be able to invest them well by having sort of a fuel that's going throughout the organization all the time, even when people haven't gathered together formally for any kind of a training. Timing can be so tricky because who's to say something takes two hours or four hours or eight hours. I get always nervous when people get together and start talking a lot about, well, it has to be this long or it has to be this short or those kinds of things. Because as Dave said, when he started, the focus really should be on the outcomes. And that's where a lot of really cutting edge educational institutions are going, where it's a competence-based thing. What competencies are we working on? And then what are the ways we can do that? Is that something we have to be face-to-face for? Or are there other ways to develop those skills? How would we measure and assess whether or not those competencies were there? So those are just a few thoughts for you as you think about building this program. And one addition to this, Guto, is on your three, you mentioned here, Wheel of Life, Personal SWOT Analysis, and Mission and Purpose. I'm, I'm familiar with all three of, those, uh, three of those. SWOT, by the way, for those who are not familiar, is strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Um, I, I think I would I would probably err on the first two because that does a little bit more of that assessment. Although I think you may get better results with doing a uh, an actual third party assessment, something that's that's uh, that's validated and and is useful to people as far as providing some data to them versus them just doing their own analysis and kind of the things off the top of their head. I'd probably hold off on mission and purpose until you've had a broader conversation that's beyond just a couple of hours, because you'll end up spending more time just talking about what is mission, purpose, and vision and trying to get people to understand the differences between those. And there's a lot of people out there that still struggle with that, me included some days. So I think you're better off of really spending that time upfront of helping people to figure out where they are, either, uh, either with an exercise or with an assessment. And if you can start there and get clarity on where people are starting from. You have done the first step in coaching, which is help people to figure out exactly where they are, and then you can figure out where you're gonna go. A huge thanks to Bonnie for her perspective on these topics, and thanks to everyone who submitted a question. It's so great to bring your voices into the show and to hear from you each month. I just love getting the questions and being able to talk with folks over email. So I hope you'll continue to keep those questions coming. And even if you didn't submit a question, if you have something to add to the conversation today, or maybe you think differently than we did on one of our responses, I hope you'll join the conversation after the show at coachingforleaders.com slash 170, and you can submit a comment there. And 
I am now taking questions for the next Q&A show coming up in early January. We will be returning to the first Monday of the month format. So that'll be episode 174 for the next Q&A show. The topic for that show is going to be resources for leaders. Now, it's intentionally a little broader topic than this month. And we're going to tackle anything you may be seeking as a resource to help you to become a better leader. So the kinds of things that that may include, but not limited to, would be training programs, graduate degrees, books, software, memberships maybe, services that are out there online or offline, websites, podcasts, gadgets, uh, you name it. If it falls under the category of a resource to help you to be a better leader, we will tackle tons of those questions on episode 174. So get your question in now, coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. And as always, even if it doesn't fall under that umbrella, we'll certainly consider it for the show if it's anything related to our uh, our general topics of communication, coaching, productivity, strategy, and personal mastery for the show. Now, before I thank our weekly, uh, the folks who joined the weekly update this past week, I wanted to mention there is an improvement coming to the weekly email updates to those of you who have joined that we'll be getting on Wednesdays. And the improvement is in two factors. One is the weekly emails are going to be shorter, and they're also going to be better. Let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, They're going to be shorter because I've noticed as time's gone on and the notes have gotten richer and the articles have gotten richer that my email updates tend to be pretty lengthy on Wednesdays. And so what I'm going to be doing is putting a more abbreviated note and link to the podcast notes for each episode at the top of those emails each week now, and you'll just need to click on it to get the detailed show notes on the webpage. That will make it still very easy for you to get all the detailed show notes, but it won't take up quite as much space in your inbox. And as a result, uh, I'll be able to bring in a lot more into the weekly email. And, you know, I'm, I'm just struck each week by how much great stuff is out there that other people are doing online that who are writing articles, who are producing video, who are, um, who are doing other podcasts. And just so many wonderful things I see each week, and I always wish that I could share with the community, but the time just doesn't allow for it on the weekly show. And so what I'm going to start to do is, in addition to that podcast notes at the top and information from me, I'm also going to start curating each week uh, four or five or six resources that I think that if you check out will help you to improve your leadership skills and many of the skills we talk about in this show, and I'm going to be selecting them carefully. I'll have a little bit of information under each one of why I think this is important, what's the relevance to you as a leader, and then you can click on that and go to that other person's site or the organization or information that's providing that. It'll all be free, of course. So uh, check that out in the weekly emails. I'd love to hear your feedback on the new format, so definitely let me know if that's helpful to you. And if it's not, uh, I am always open to feedback, and I want that to be as valuable an email to you each week as possible. And my hope is, is that can be a place that's a, that's something that each week will give you something that will help you to really practically lead and influence more effectively. And so I think this new format will help that 
happen even more substantially. So speaking of the weekly update, thank you to those of you who have jumped into this last week and subscribed to the weekly update. So now you have a detailed uh, overview already of what that's going to include going forward. And the people who joined this past week are Abendur Hamati, Kate Beatty, Kathleen Jamison, Jesse Robinson. Hey, Jesse. Steve Stahoviak. Uh, yes, we are related. Hey, Steve. Susan Frost, Mike Dolan, Al Coe, Ashlyn Hours, Christiana Moore, Julie Smith, Robert Lowell, Anthony Daly, and Latasha Christian. Thank you so much for joining in on the weekly updates. You are going to be getting that new format that's going to be coming every Wednesday in your inbox. So watch for that. And if you're already uh, receiving those emails, watch for that in your inbox Wednesday afternoon. And when you do join the weekly update, you also get my guide to the 10 leadership books that will help you get better results from others, including the two I rely on weekly. You can subscribe to all of that at coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. That will get you there. Hey, thanks so much for listening. It's always a pleasure to be with you each week. And I look forward to talking with you again next Monday. Take care.